Welcome to episode 28 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. And uh, right on cue, Daz is making some noise in the background for us. Uh, how are you today, <laughs> Daz? Are you looking... I just, just kicked my power cord. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I, I know you're excited about the... How excited are you, Scarlet of 1 to 10, about the NBA season two weeks away? Yeah, I've got to be at least a nine and a half especially with the NFL continuing. I'm full-blown into the NFL product is garbage narrative. I'm full into it. So um, nine and a half at least, as And once I start my in this fantasy league, I think it'll be full-blown full blown 10. No, I agree. I, I think the, the NBA, NFL's done nothing to make us uh, to miss the NBA, NBA more since it started a few weeks ago and uh, the narrative's just not going away about that. But let's let's not talk negatives about other sports. Let's let's concentrate on the NBA and it's been another couple of weeks since we last spoke. But uh, the NBA world never stops. It really is. I mean, that's one of the things we might even talk about first. I mean, it, it really has become a 365-day-a-year sport, hasn't it, the NBA? It's hard to – there may be a minor little period where it's where it seems to be quiet, but certainly this off-season, there's, there's, there's hardly been a week without one major story breaking. Does that have felt, felt for you as well? For sure. I mean, the draft is always awesome, right? The, lot, the lottery and the draft – because it happens so quickly after the season, but then then summer leagues upon us. But then obviously all the all the player movement, which we're going to have to get used to, I think, just keeps on happening. So it's been great. Yeah. Well, the latest domino, the fall, of course, and this this come out of the blue for me. It was a little bit like when Paul George went to OKC, and you thought, oh, OKC, okay, so I didn't see them on the radar for this move, but a big few days for OKC because not only does they do the Camelo Anthony trade for Ennis Cantor, Doug McDermott and a second round pick for next year. Then a couple of days after that, Russell Westbrook uh, signs his extension, which I think you and I were both on the, in the camp of maybe wondering whether that would actually happen. That has happened now. Uh, so he's locked in long term and who knows what sort of team they're going to build around him. But I guess I wanted to get your, your initial thoughts on the trade from both sides, particularly, I guess, looking at the OKC side first, uh, and not only the trade, but the big news about Russell Westbrook re-signing there as well. Well, for me, the, the headline is is almost um, Sam Presti's just playing, Sam Presti's playing chess while the rest of the league plays checkers, right? I mean, how you can view this anything other than Sam Presti um, being able to pull this off is 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 remarkable. Him and Maury, right, have had just unbelievable off-seasons. Um, so tip the hat yet again to Preston. I, I don't know if, um, if this makes up for for letting Harden go um, years ago, but it's it's got to be close. So good on Presty for um, for being able to do what he's been able to do to turn, right, th- the ghost of Cameron Payne, um, <laughs> a Ness, don't call me Enos Cantor and whatever some other white dude into Carmelo Anthony and Paul George is it's unfathomable, right? Just on paper, it's it's crazy what he's been able to do. So uh, two perfect storms probably mean it's not just perfect storm or something something good going on there with Presty. So good on him and good on the OKC fans for having to endure, right? Probably the second most heartbreaking breakup you know, to LeBron leaving Cleveland the first time. 
um, to having an off season like this. So you get an MVP season from Russ, and then you know you get two, two. Let's be honest, two Hall of Famers, right? Paul George and Carmelo will be Hall of Famers in the same off season. So kudos to the, you know, to my brethren in the small town, small market, small market fans who got a, a lot to be excited about. A lot of variables, right? A lot of shit to get right, but my God, a lot to get excited about. And yeah, I'm I'm probably uh, I don't know where the world falls on uh, optimism versus pessimism with Carmelo, but I you've heard me bang on before about don't underestimate the power of a motivated human to want to be somewhere where Chris Paul, right, absolutely wanted to be in Houston, and you know Hayward wants to be in Boston, and this is where where Carmelo wants to be. So I, I'm probably higher on the optimism scale for quote unquote, you, you know, team USA, Carmelo. Um, then I think a lot of right, fair critics would see, but I, I think that um, Carmelo waving, waving a ton of money, waving the no trade and going to do this right in, in Oklahoma for, Let's call it a year. Who knows what happens after this? But that's it's no small feat. So I think you've got yourself a highly motivated individual here to make it work. So I think that's that's great. And come on, Daz. I mean, you you probably were even you've been harsher on E E dot Cantor than I have been over the years. But to be able to get say what you will about Carmelo, he's a brilliant catch and shoot. Right? He's brilliant in the catch and shoot. Still um, ninety. What did I see? 93rd percentile still between 15 and 19 feet. So he is elite, elite at catch and shoot in the mid range. And to get get rid of um, Oladipo and Cantor's, um, obviously Oladipo is the Paul George, but to get rid of Cantor's contract um, on top of it is, um, again, just another win. So good on Presti. I'm excited for the OKC fans. And again, I'm probably higher on the, you know, the optimism scale than many. The big question uh, maybe I'll throw it back to you. Is when you got the three studs like this, and you see, you know, Clay Thompson's taking a bit of a back seat in Golden State, and Chris Bosh had to take a major back seat and change his game in Miami. And we've seen what, you know, poor old beleaguered Kevin Love has had to do as, you know, as the third leg on the stool in Cleveland. What's going to be interesting is that, you know, who is going to be that one who does um, play. You know, it certainly isn't going to be Russ, right? You know, well, Russ might go for Russ. <laughs> what a... It should be Russ, but there's not going to be Russ. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I think is inc- someone's going to have to give a little bit. And I go, that's what's interesting where part of me says the big part is that, you know, Team USA, Carmelo, he's just so happy to be there and um, just playing his role, which is catch and shoot the ball and, um, you know, and rebound a little bit. And, um Carmelo's well, probably actually not the worst passer, but who's going to, you know, they can't all have usage rates of, of 30%, right? Yeah, so well, I think there's an who's, argument who's gonna give? that Carmelo Anthony, and I've made this argument when, when I, way back when we were arguing about let's, let's get um, Carmelo Anthony a point guard, and I wanted Rubio to go to New York, if you remember all those podcasts ago. I did. And it was just like, let's get Melo some better teammates, and particularly a point guard. Now, the argument, I guess, what we're going to see this season is, is Russell Westbrook a point guard? Or is he just some sort of hybrid uh, alien that we've never seen before? So can he play a, a, 
more traditional point guard role where he's getting people involved, sharing the ball around, setting up the offence, etc. But I think there's also an argument to be made that Camilla Anthony's going to be better surrounded by better teammates and not have to take the load all the time and feel like I need to be the man. And I'm not sure he wants to be the man. I mean, that was the point that Chauncey Billups made when he was with him in Denver. He said, Mm. Camilla Anthony doesn't want that role. So when the Knicks signed him to be that player... He never really fit in. And that's why I think he excels in Team USA. Two straight Olympics, he's been the best player in the Olympics. He has. He has. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't believe when I, particularly the last Me Olympics, when I was watching it, it was like a different player. But he doesn't need to be the dominant player. He can pick his moments, pick his spots. Obviously, it's just spot up shooting a lot of the time. Um, I'm, I'm sort of between excited and just sort of, uh, I'm not sure about the fit with this. But if, I'm sort of more leaning, I think, in your direction of optimism. Um, and I think Russell Westbrook has it in him too to play a little bit less um, or a bit more within himself, if you like, um, which I think he's going to have to do. Or, and, and to the benefit of the team, there's, it, he's already seen they're not going to win the title with him playing the sort of basketball he played last year, despite the ridiculous numbers that he put up. Um, so I don't think you're going to see massive numbers from Westbrook this year. But I think the other thing is he's going to be looking for ways to get uh, Camilo Anthony and Paul George involved um, within that within that team setup. I guess the only thing that I've sort of seen about this is what does it mean for Patrick Patterson and his minutes? Does Jeremy Grant play more minutes? Uh, what happens with the backup centre position now that there's no canter? I mean, I'm no. Uh, I can't believe. I mean, people defended the canter contract when they gave it to him. I was blown away that they gave him a max deal um, a couple of seasons ago. He's just not a max player. Uh, he matches up well on the Spurs and pretty much no one else in the, the at the upper end of the Western Conference. So a guy that you just can't can't stay on the court um, in, in big games. Yeah. I just can't see why you're paying that money. But we'll, we'll talk about the Knicks in a second. But I, I, the other point I'd make on this and question I'd ask you, is this an argument to say, look, not all is lost for small market teams. There are still ways you can make moves and then keep your superstars happy. But the real key and and a real massive competitive advantage for small market teams is having a competent front office. And I hate to say that to a Milwaukee Bucks fan, but I think that is one of the really crucial things we're seeing in San Antonio. We're seeing it now in Oklahoma City. So is there an argument with the competent front office small market teams can still thrive or is it just inevitable that these big markets are going to start taking over? And what, what's your feel on this? Is, is this sort of a, a good news story for small market teams? Let me put it this way. A crummy front office will torpedo any hopes, right? I.e. Sacramento, New Orleans, etc. Yep. But a great front office doesn't doesn't just default you into the conversation, i.e. Utah, who did everything right with Gordon Hayward, right? So it you have to have, uh, I'd even say I'd extend the phrase front office, which implies general manager, right? But you need the right culture, you need the right coach, you probably need a good system, and you need stability, right? So I think you, if you encompass the, the front office as um, a system and a culture around it, like what Miami has built, Right, so imagine what Miami has built, or San Antonio has built, or what what Brad Stevens has built, or Quinn Snyder has built, or Steve Kerr has built. 
I think Jason Kidd, for example, is getting there, but you know they've got instability at the top. But um, but you have to have you have to have it right. The other thing you have to have is probably a star, right? So again, uh, with the small market teams like a like you know AD or you know before Thibodeau arrived with his uh, army of influence with Carl Anthony Towns and Giannis. So at least the, the you know the uh, we'll get probably get to the draft lottery in a minute, but. You know, the lottery has been working for the bottom feeders, i.e. the small markets as well. Um, and it's now incumbent upon them to put bloody, you know, put a, a system in place, stick with it, have some continuity, um, and, yeah, give yourself a chance. So the short answer is yes, it is, it is, it is, it is hope, um, but it does still, I think, take quite a lot of circumstances to line up, i.e. some with the wisdom of Presti and, who's drafted well enough, right? He's drafted well enough and made so many other trades to make this trade happen. So, again, you can, almost like the Daryl Morey conversation, you can trace back Carmelo Anthony back to, you know, being able to draft campaign and be able to swindle, you know, the Bulls at just the right time to get Dougie Buckets and get that, right, get a very attractive second-round pick that you can throw in now to get to get Carmelo. And so I go, right, you can lead this back to drafting campaign, literally, because for whatever reason the Bulls were in love with him so much to give up Dougie buckets and um, here they are. So, you know, that's the other the other thing I will say. Maybe this is your point about the front office, not just about the front office as it stands at the moment, with you know its stability or um, you know the the team or the the roster it's put in place, but it's just every move, every every trade, every transaction being a progressive transaction. Right, an asset accumulation, um, and/or towards a very, very distinctive, um, a distinctive goal. And that's what I find is so lacking in so many places. So, that's a long way to answer your question, Daz, which is probably the only answer you were going to get from me. But um, yes, it's hope. Well, one of the, <laughs> speaking of great front offices, let's let's move to the New York Knicks and talk about their side of this trade. <laughs> Uh, the, so Mello obviously had the no trade Hashtag clause. sarcasm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, had the no trade clause. Uh, apparently there were deals in place with Houston and Cleveland. They fell through for whatever reason. I, mean, I think on an offside, it, it does show Darren Morey and Houston fans just how difficult it's going to be to move Ryan Anderson's contract uh, for anything going forward. But just on the New York side of things, I mean, is this the best they could have done? I mean, what do you, what do you sort of sense... I guess about uh, how they did out of this trade in the end. Uh, that's a good question. The question is, did they have to do it? Right? Did they have to? Oh, and I see think how you go into another season with Melo on on the books. But I think, in, in surprisingly, unlike the uh, Dwight Howards of the world, Melo Melo doesn't make waves. Melo, by every report, is a good teammate. Right. And a guy who's been in the New York media now for how long? Six, seven seasons. You know, he's been, you know, he's, I don't want to say spotless, but he would have been the least of their problems. Right. And so when you ask the question, did they have to move him? It wasn't certainly because, you know, of, of Mello um, and the, his behavior. But I think the maybe what we don't know is. Maybe what Mello is so good at is maybe speaking, to, you know, just so very carefully through his agent to make it clear that he's 
he's fucking fed up, which you could you could only empathize with the guy if he was. Um, not to mention, I guess what's um, where New York is needing to go, which is to try to start the process, and I literally mean start the process of putting assets in around um, uh, Porzingis. And so from that perspective of one was Melo far more pissed off and disenfranchised than he let on in the media because he's been so good at right just giving us platitudes and, and the right answer for so long, even when Phil Jackson's fucking insulting him. And then some perhaps I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm going to have no – I'm not reading any reports to, the, to suggest that's been the case um, other than he just wants out. And then what – you know, putting assets around around Porzingis, and in in one, I guess if I squinted really hard, you could actually see. Uh, I can't, I'm going to almost retract it as soon as I say it. Cantor kind of fits next to Zinger, right? Because Zinger, who can't rebound for shit, but he can stretch the floor and do all kinds of things and run the rim and do some rim protection, and then Cantor, who can rebound and and score on the bucket and do absolutely nothing else, right? He won't give you anything on defense. So in theory, in theory and on paper, I'm going to be redundant to kind of just underscore how not confident I am in saying that, but I I guess they theoretically kind of fit okay next to each other. And the theory of having another spacer like McDermott, who I suppose at what, he's age 25. I'm not ready to give up totally up on him yet. He could have a, you know, I don't know, a Corver-like career yet, maybe a little bit more. He's never going to be Dirk, but, you know, he could be, you know, he could be a 15, 20 minute a guy, minute, 20 minutes a game guy who can, you know, shoot 39, 40% and be effective. So I guess from a, and then I guess the second round pick, which will probably be like number 32 or 33, I guess it has some, has some value to it. That'll be so, a reasonable pick. I guess the the other point is, what? How much worse do they get? I mean, is this, this cost them five wins? Melo not being there. I mean, potentially they get better, but my view is they probably get a little bit worse next year, which doesn't hurt their long term development. That might be worth two or three draft picks movement in it, in and of itself. Um, so that could be another thinking, and that was more my thinking. I mean, where are you going if you go into the season with Melo? Where are you going? You're aiming for 35 to 40 wins again. Like, what's the point? You may as well get rid of him, bring in Cantor, see if he is a decent fit. Um, McDermott, take a flyer on him as well. Get a decent second rounder. And, you know, you're not expecting him to win a lot of games. Anyway, if we win well, a few less, that, that improves our draft odds. Two points on that I'd make. One is you're, you're right. Uh, they're, they're worse. No question, right? Mellow. Melo carries the team. I think he's he's got to be a worth at least a net, probably a net four would be my start. I think they'd be a 35-win team with him. I mean, just subtracting, they're probably a 30-win team, 30-31. Because, um, you know, he can still go for 40 a night and on days, and he can he's actually pretty good in the clutch. So, yep, they're definitely worse. Um, but this, so there's a three points. Secondly, though, is, right, what's the, what happens when he's not shooting 25 times a game? And one would hope, that, you know, Jim Hardaway Sr., Tim Hardaway Jr., whoever is, whoever is making $71 million doesn't suddenly, you know, shoot 25 times a game. You would hope that that means more, more space and more opportunity for Perzingis. 
but that's predicated on point number three. And stop me if, heard, if you've heard this for heard this before in New York. Their issue is point guard, mm-hmm. right? How, what sort of offense now is Hornacek going to run with? You know, his thirty-two percent usage guy is gone, and his super his alpha scorer is gone, and they don't really have a point guard. What what are they going into the season with? Jarrett Jack, R. Dot Baker, uh, Ramon. Ramon Sessions, right? He signed with the Knicks, if I'm not mistaken, and Frankie Smokes, right? Yep. So Jarrett Jack, Ron Baker, Frankie Smokes, and um, Ramon Sessions. So if you're Chris Stapp's Porzingis, right, you go, okay, yay, Carmelo's gone, right? And yay, Phil's gone. I've got some space to play, and I go, all right, who's running my offense? It's the scaredy-pants coach who probably is afraid for his job now playing for a GM that didn't didn't hire him in, in Hornacek with what? And so I think the I think there could be markedly worse as not just the removal of Carmelo, but in the search for identity on the offensive end in particular, right? They're not gonna scare anyone on defense either. I think their floor their floor just got a lot lower. Right, especially when you're paying, you know, Noah. You're probably gonna have to play him if he's healthy. So I think there's, I think the worst case in New York is again tankathon. Best case, this could be a 25. They could win 25, even in the East. Well, even the other the problem East. is not only do they not have a point guard, they don't have any other playmaking on the roster. So it's not like a Milwaukee situation where you say, you know what, Delhi's not the greatest playmaker. There's put it mildly when he's playing point guard but we've got Giannis so we can just give the ball to him and even the Clippers can maybe run Blake Griffin bringing up his primary ball handler and there's a number of teams that have different guys even Charlotte and Nick Batum for example um, but New York who, who else do they have they've got the Flotsam and Jetsam that you just uh, outlined uh, and maybe Frankie Smokes is two three years away from being what he's he's 19 be. right yeah exactly so you know they've just they've got nothing. There's nothing there. So and it's such a key part of. It's always been a key part of the game, but it feels like it's even more pronounced in today's NBA. Uh, I know. I mean, just talk. Another more. That's a great point. They don't have any secondary playmaking, as I call it. What Lance Thomas is he supposed to be that guy? You know, I, I doubt it. Um, well, when you said Lance, I was going to even say, give me a Lance Stevenson. Go and trade for him from the, the Pacers yeah, or something. Someone I know, Dion. Like Dude, even Tyreek Evans. Like just get someone that can create something off the dribble, do a bit of play, maybe. But they've got nothing. They've got Courtney Lee, who's just a spot-up shooter. So um, let's let's do a quick recap, because this is now you're on the topic. Right, Hornacek is there, second season. He spent his entire first season... Um, being undercut, undermined, and insulted by by Phil Jackson, um, and being forced to play a style of ball that he had no intent in playing. Now he's freed, loses his twenty five point a game score, still doesn't have a point guard. He wants to play, you know, he's D'Antoni like up paced, you know, shirt early, you know, the first good shot's a good shot, right? Don't let the defense get set. And what's he got? His best players are. Um, and as Cantor, Kristaps Porzingis, and Willie Hernan Gomez, that's bright. Yep. Would you put? I would. Oh, I would argue that. So 
Yeah, Hardaway. I suppose he could be. Is he and better than Cantor? Maybe. maybe a little bit. Of, we may, we're, we're underselling his playmaking a little bit, but maybe I think he's more of a shoot first guy too. Yeah, he's a, he wants to, you know he's his ceilings Jamal Crawford right in my in my view is Michigan kid you know chuck it high volume you know bit of oh we did forget they saw hops, Michael but... Beasley. Oh my God, they have Beasley. There's your secondary playmaker. How could I forget? <laughs> Their top four players are are forwards and centers, right? So my point was, right, when Jeff Hornacek wants to imprint his style in the second E season, now perhaps, right, worried that he's now working for a GM that didn't hire him, you know, having that sort of Damocles hanging over your head all the time without a point guard stroke, a 19-year-old from, you know, from France and your best players are in the front court. Hey, good luck with that. Off you go. Yeah. Go, go be competitive in New York City, right? So I still think that's the worst job in the NBA, but, um, but yeah. So I I think the but the biggest story. So all that's all that's kind of interesting for a what's going to be what a twenty eight win team, right? This this is brewing to be, right? And he made you know who knows, but if this isn't brewing for for Porzingis to, right, do everything he can to stay healthy, keep his mouth shut, um, you know decline any extension and reach unrestricted free agency as quickly as possible. I'd be shocked. Right. That's what I, that's why I'm, if I'm, if I'm New York, this is probably the, the young stud of all the studs with Anthony, even Anthony Davis has probably a longer shelf life um, than Chris. Yeah, again, I guess this goes back to big market, small market. I mean, to being the face of a big market franchise like the Knicks, how much weight does that hold? Uh, to a guy like Porzingis coming in the free or, or ready to sign his next contract, we'll find out. I think I we'll think find out. But they, I could... they can really sell him on that this year. You would think. Yeah, he's well, going to be. Gonna... Watch him. Watch him fire the coach again, right? So it'll be on. I. I mean, Hornacek. What are the odds? And you know, we should be doing you know NBA coach death watch, right? If you'd be taking um, him and Alvin, Alvin Gentry and. Well, Gentry and Hornacek would be your top two, wouldn't they? Yeah. Dan right. Tony probably three. <laughs> he's such a he's such a shit mixer. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever goofballs coaching Orlando. Yeah. Oh, I suppose Vogel, he's actually a coach. Got some but anyway, yeah. I, I would I would for me it'd be um it's it's Gentry and Hornacek one and one A. Pick your pick your order as as hot seats I kinda go talk about your I know they're the ultimate market, but man um, Chris Stapps was pissed off last year, right? I, mean, I don't know how much it had to do with with just Phil Jackson, but he was pretty fed up. Now, imagine this roster. Is, is Hornacek the type of coach you want? Goodness gracious, we'll see. Well, what anyway, coach do you want for that roster, really? Well, you need a roster and a philosophy first, right? So I go, you, you argue in circles with a roster like, like this, like you argue in circles in New Orleans. Like, you need to pick an identity, and pick a philosophy, then structure your your roster to it, and then you know actually develop a roster and, and develop a style of play to suit your talent. Well, don't, they, they don't have drafted, an identity. If they drafted Dennis Smith, in all seriousness, this conversation would be a bit different now, wouldn't it? It would be. It so, would be. A lot of it, things it could go be. back to, to Phil Jackson. It's just a disastrous. Uh, it, with the exception of drafting Pazingas, it's been a pretty. It was a pretty disastrous reign uh, there. Yeah, that's right. Because he was still around drafting Frankie Smokes, wasn't he? 
what to run the triangle. Act, uh, as to run the triangle. So, oh, goodness uh, gracious. Right? So, let's move on to another bit of news. Um, and two bits of news coming out of Cleveland. I know we, we talk about Cleveland all the time, it seems, in this pod, but they are one of the two best teams or three best teams in the NBA uh, at the moment. And uh, you know, clearly the favourites again in the Eastern Conference. So they signed Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade got bought out from Chicago. Left about $6 million on the table. So it was a, a reasonable amount that he left on the table to come and join LeBron this time uh, and run with him in Cleveland. Uh, but to me, the bigger news to come out was their open media open day when they conceded that Isaiah Thomas will be out. They're expecting until January. So that would be around the worst-case scenario type of prognosis that we would have expected from his hip injury, which I guess in some ways um, shows why there was some trepidation around the trade. But I guess your take firstly on the Dwayne Wade news and then the Isaiah Thomas um, situation coming out of Cleveland. Uh, so as to the news for D. Wade, I, this was probably, I think, the, the minute that Jimmy Butler got dumped I would expected. I was kind of expecting this. So it was a matter of when, wasn't it? Not yeah, it felt like a matter of when, wasn't it? Right. So, and it's um, you could tell that D Wade had gotten some LeBron, uh, I suppose, not coaching, but you know, the conversation about the the power of going home and going back, and so his, you know, his breakup, ugly breakup with Pat Riley, highly unexpected, but he it was to go home, go back home to Chicago, and. Obviously, that didn't work out very well, and so you kind of go, poor guy. I, I do say a little bit of poor guy, you know, because I think I think D Wade did get fucked. Um, there's no way he signs that and opts in for his player option by doing that. So that was that was talk about a place where you know we talk about oftentimes the Bucks giving away Zaza and Jared Dudley, and they give away these veterans for nothing, and you know the goodwill that builds with the players. Talk about destroying goodwill. But Jimmy Butler was furious about being dealt. Imagine how D. Wade felt. A, not being told, and B, being sort of left holding the bag, now having to lose six, seven million dollars. I mean, talk about destruction in the veteran marketplace. And so here's another example: the the, the counterpoint to the, you know, to the small markets have to do stuff right. Boy, howdy! If you have a fucked up front office, you can make your your city as unappealing as is, you know, playing in Indiana for a racist, right? Mm. I mean, or playing for Donald Sterling or playing for Garpax. So so complete continuation of the train wreck that is Chicago, but good on D. Wade for going and having play some real basketball next year. And I, my my tongue-in-cheek, you know, tweet was about this was, you know, the, you know, stable goat, calms, finicky thoroughbred. You know, D. Wade is the stable goat for LeBron. He just, he's going to bring a common effect to LeBron, right? And I think I, we talked about this a bit last year, but um, the basketball wasn't a lot of fun last year, right? Mm. Where the the Warriors had a fucking lot of fun the previous two seasons and Cav- the Cavaliers had a lot of fun beating them in the seven, you know, games on you know, five, six, and seven. There was a lot of fun in the NBA last year. You know, the Warriors got serious, right? Because KD comes to town and it's like you have to win the title or it's all deemed a complete failure. And LeBron was breathing fire the whole season, right? Pushing his body to the limit. So there was no fun. And either of those two teams last year was fucking work. It was work and relief. And so I think there's going to be 
for me, this isn't the only reason. I think that there could, this could bring actually some fun back to Cleveland for the Cavaliers players, right? I'm not talking for the fans, and I don't believe D Wade because you know he's he's a shadow of what he used to be five years ago. But I think he's going to help LeBron have a bit of fun again and hang out with his brother, you know, one of his closest guys. And I got a ton of new players as well, so I think D Wade also is going to help help LeBron integrate. Again, the things that we just don't see as fans, just how hard it is to bring eight, nine new players on a roster together and get them to practice properly and listen properly and communicate properly and not always have LeBron have to do everything, right? The on, you know, the coach and every, every shape of the, on the, sorry, sort of LeBron, the on court coach and every play and on both sides of the ball. I think D Wade can help that a lot. It's to sort of help. He knows how to win. He knows what LeBron wants. So, I think it's again. He's a he's a stable goat. He, don't don't mistake him for a thirty point a game scorer anymore. Um, but he's going to help. I think LeBron run and manage the club. Well, whatever fun he'd bring to the table, I think Derek Rose will take away. So it's, it's going to it's going to <laughs> even true. out at the end of the day. I'm sure. But I, I think that's actually a good point. It's not something I thought about. I mean, I'm I was thinking more just on court stuff. I don't think. Dwayne Wade at this stage in his career brings a lot. Um, he, he'll bring it, you know, certain nights. He's at that stage of his career. This is something that Steve Nash talked about when he was coming to the end. He said, look, I can, I can bring it one night whenever I want. He said, but I can't back up for another game two days later. I'll probably need a week off after that. I don't think Dwayne Wade's quite there yet, but I, I don't think you can expect to see him. If we see one good game for him, I don't think you can expect to see another good game straight after that. And maybe two or three games after that, we see. Yeah, he won't be playing back to backs. I think if you got sixty regular season games, he'd be happy. Fifty-five, he wouldn't be disappointed if it's if it's rest and yeah. you know ice and you know the, the little the, the you know sort of ding here and there. If you know missing twenty-five games isn't you know because of a you know an injury, but I think if you got fifty-five, sixty, just his presence, right? Um, I think it's going to be a calming effect. The worry um, I have with Wade is, does he realise where his career is at? And that's that's the worry I have. And it's the same worry I have with Derek Rose. Do they yeah. realise where they are in their career and where they are in the pecking order on this team? And I'm not so sure that's, they will. That's a great question. And this is where I think it's what, that can uniquely be answered by someone who, by, by someone who Wade trusts, which is LeBron. I think they'll right. They can have honest conversations with each other. That's my feeling, right? When you have that level of trust and familiarity with each other, I I have a feeling that you know, just you know, you've got siblings. You have a way to talk to your siblings, right? Where you go, come on, you can pull them up on things. So I that's a great question. And I think uniquely, you know, if, if D Wade was back in Chicago, having to, you know, being the number one, number two scoring options, I think you'd have a different story. If he was there with, you know, just if they rolled out the gang again with him and Jimmy Butler again, they'd, they'd need, you know, you'd expect 18 points a game from D Wade, and he would, it's probably still be in his mind be playing like that. But if he can, gosh, is he going to come off the bench? That's the other question: is is he going to start or is he going to come off the bench? Um, which I haven't quite thought about yet. Um, but but I think um, I think I think LeBron will help him figure out what he needs to be. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It could be, it could be a starting five involving Derek Rose, Wade, LeBron, uh, Kevin Love, and Tristan Thompson at this stage. Given Isaiah Thomas's injury, 
Yeah, I guess it could be. I mean, what happens to JR? Yeah, I guess. And then JR is pushing that's the it. bench. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, it's Coach interesting. LeBron's going to have some rotations to manage, isn't he? Yeah. He is. I go, yeah, that's right. But uh, but as to the, to the Isaiah news, I think that's where, again, we've talked about this a lot before, but um, Danny Ainge, the complete willingness to not only throw in the, the unprotected, unprotected Nets pick, but then even going as far as to throw in that extra, what was it, a 20-20 second rounder or something to close it off, was I think was an acknowledgement on both sides that Isaiah's injury is pretty bad. And so January doesn't surprise me, given all that we've heard and talked about with the trade. It doesn't surprise me at all. And if the bigger question is, I think that we've talked about before, is when Isaiah is back, is he 80%? And if he's 80 percent, will he ever be to 100? And then secondly is how long, how long can he go before, if it say gets back to 100 percent? Is it just a, is that hip a ticking time bomb, right? And so that for me is going to be the big, big, big um, scary question if you're a Cavs fan, if you're LeBron thinking about legacy is imagine the worst case scenario literally is Isaiah comes back 80 percent gets to be 100% by March and gets hurt again. So you build your team around a 25-point-a-game, you know, dominant ball hanger like Isaiah, and poof, come March, April, if something happens, all right? So that's why I think is that this medical, the medical stuff with Isaiah is going to be a dominant, dominant conversation, with or without D. Rose, with or without Jeff Green, with or without D. Wade. Um, I, I'm of the view that they're just, they're probably not going to, not Again, they're not going to compete with if with peak Houston or you know or Golden State without someone like Isaiah scoring twenty five points a game. I just don't see it. So I think I think they need Isaiah. I I, I have real worries about Isaiah, and we've sort of spoken yeah. about it before. I think longer term, I just worry about where I, I, I've almost no doubt we've seen the best of him, um, and I I don't think it's going to be anything other than just downhill from here but I'm, I hope I'm wrong but I'm just not uh, I'm really really concerned about um, and you look at the history of hip injuries and, you, and you're reading some of the reports coming out of the clue and it's just not, nothing's good news um, in terms of what we're hearing about Isaiah Thomas but no doubt we'll, we'll follow that as the season goes on does a couple of other uh, more minor signings that I wanted to talk about but one I guess I wanted to expand on a bit more the first that I didn't want to expand on so much was uh, Jamal Green uh, signed with Memphis. Um, he took a reasonable offer, about seven million a year, um, which uh, sort of surprised me a little bit because uh, I thought when the market opened, he would probably get a little bit more than that. But being a restricted free agent, I think the market dried up a bit for him. The other one was TJ Warren at the the Suns, and that was four years, fifty million, um, which. Sort of surprised me in a way just that they've locked him down for such a long time. But I, I think the point I wanted to make, I guess, on this is I think some of these smaller teams and they're looking at guys with some potential and, and just trying to lock them into longer-term deals, it feels like, um, if they can, because of the sort of free age and the pull of some of these bigger marks. And if, and if guys do improve and sort of blow up, it's going to be a lot harder to sign them in that... Um, in those cities. I mean, did you get the same sort of sense? What, what were your thoughts on those two deals, particularly the, the Warren deal? As to Jim, Jim Michael, like, like you're right. There's just, there's no more cap room. 
Mm. Right, who has cap room like Indiana and not even Philadelphia? Maybe right, who's got cap room left? Right, I think the Bulls. and so he wasn't. Yeah, the Bulls, right? Yeah, but they're they're obviously trying to race to get the number one pick. There's a zero percent chance they're going to put any money at a a guy who could help them win a couple games. So, um, so yeah, it was timing. I think if Jamichael would have had, you know, if he would have been a free agent RFA a year sooner, he would have been paid like Miles Plumley probably. Um, so yeah, but I think from a Memphis perspective, you want him back. He's a quality rotation big. Um, he's helped maybe fill some of the minutes that, that, um, Zebo was playing. So nice player, nice rotation guy, probably not much, not too newsworthy. I'm just, I'm happy. He's got a couple, you know, seven half million bucks a year. Was it 7 million a year? Two years, 14, two years, 15. Let me bring it up now, but I think, yeah. It was around that, that sort of mark. I think I, was was, I remember two. The 11 mark. Okay. But anyway, for a kid like that, you know, he's set for life now. So good on him. He's worked hard. He's got a good story. So good on, good on Jamichael. The TJ Warren is a, a little more interesting, isn't it? Because it's the, you kind of go, what sort of player is TJ Warren? He, he can't really, he's not a three and D guy, right? But he's a classic. He's like built like and plays like a classic three, right? He's not really can't really play shooting guard and he can't play the four so he's right <laughs> five years ago perfect right he's the perfectly clear small forward but you know now in the three and d era and stretch era, he's not really a great three-pointer a three-point shooter nor is he a great defender and so i think he was going to play best on a team who's got a lot more probably spacing and, and room for him to you know to slash it's actually quite a nice rebounder and good in transition so he's a nice He's a nice player. I think he just happens to be one of those guys where, again, pick your, pick your, you know, um, Tyler Johnson, uh, Kent Bazemore, pick a Plumley, pick a Mile, you know, pick, you know, pick a Myers Leonard, etc. Pick the, any number of players who are making fifty million dollars. I I saw that contract and I'm like, I actually think that's a pretty movable deal. I think he'd be pretty attractive to teams who've, you know, I think he's got some upside. Um, he said fought a little bit of injury, injury bug, but I think he'd be a either a nice sort of nice complimentary piece to a team who's got like a really great stretch four, um, or he could be fantastic off the bench for a good team. So I, I, I didn't mind it for Phoenix. You know, I go, I might have been a little bit higher. I thought you know maybe four years forty, but that's not a big difference in the grand scheme. So yeah, I thought it was okay. I just I just yeah. don't know how he fits in with this team. I think That's the years right. was what what surprised me, but maybe they were thinking that. I mean, this is a contract we can move because they've got a number of guys. To your point, they've got Josh Jackson now. They've got Marcus Chris already. They've got Tony yeah. Warren, so they've got a number of guys in and around that. And even Alan Williams, who's sadly been injured and may miss the, the entire season. Yeah. Um, with a hamstring, I think he ripped the hamstring. Meniscus, I think, or something. Right. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, he's out. But he's another guy in the mix of those sort of, you know, tween the forwards, if you like. Um, they're going to be vying for the same position. But I guess from their point of view, if he blows up and becomes a much better player than what they're envisaging, um, uh, then it's certainly a movable contract and, and it's going to be a very good value contract for them. Um, whether they want to keep him on the books or not, or look to move one of the other guys. Uh, but the other point is, I think he's a pretty high floor guy. I think we know what 
what he's going to be. Um, and worst case scenario, I think he's going to be a seventh, eighth, eighth man that can give you solid minutes. Yeah, I think it's a really nice characterization, actually, a high floor. You're right. I think you could pretty safely pencil him in for, if you had to play him 30 minutes a night, you're going to get 15 and 7. You're right. You're just going to get it. He's a nice, nice mid-range game, nice use of the glass. Obviously, I watch a lot of Suns. It's my, you know, one of my pet favorite teams. I saw a lot of, seen a lot of TJ over the years. I liked him. I really liked TJ. So I thought, yeah, a little high, but um, you're right. Nice high floor. Um, the question's going to be, right, this is, the, is are they going to accidentally destroy, not destroy, but harm his value because he doesn't get the minutes? That's for me. That's why I go, I, it's a, probably a fair contract for a guy at his age and, and high floor, but is he going to get enough minutes to prove it for them either to get benefit for him on the court in terms of wins or losses or for him to develop as an asset? Or is he going to get lost with, you know, Jackson getting getting tons of run and then wanting to get a lot of look at, you know, at um, Bender and Chris and the rest of the guys. So um, that for me is the big question is will he get enough minutes to prove his value? Well, we'll see this year. I mean, I think I think we'll he will. I think the Williams injury sort of helps in in some ways in that sense. Um, if Williams was there as well, and, and Alex Len, of course, came back also on the qualifying. I understand he's a centre, but the way the NBA is at the moment, you've only got so many minutes to hand out the centres as well. Um, so you know, small ball lineups would feature TJ Warren invariably. Um, for Phoenix, so I th- I'm going to be interested to see some of the lineups Phoenix are trotting out next year because there is going to be some experimentation going on, um, and you wouldn't be surprised to see Marquise Chris playing centre for certain amounts of time and things like this. Yeah, um, who yeah. knows what they're going to throw out there? So that's why I actually I actually enjoyed watching the Phoenix games last year because there was always so much going on um, that you could sort of take in, uh, and Warren was was invariably a part of that. So um, I'll, I'll be interested to to continue to watch him and, and that team's development because I think they're moving in the right direction, personally. Yeah. So let's... You didn't... I thought you were going to mention the other signing, which was um, Anthony Bennett. They signed Anthony Bennett. They signed... No, the Suns the son signed Anthony Flippin' Bennett. Well, look, you I thought you were going to... I just wanted to throw that in there. You never know. Yeah, well, it doesn't even make news anymore, does it? Poor kid. Yeah. No, that's... Is he the worst number one pick ever? He'd have to be, wouldn't he? He'd have to be right up there. He'd have to be. Because Michael, Michael Oluwakandi would be, would be close. Oluwakandi was pretty bad. But Oluwakandi, at least, was reasonable. Like, Bennett was just a disaster from the day one. He can't even play. He, he, no. Yeah, he would have, he, he has the talent of an undrafted rookie, right? Like, a, like even Kwame Can't Brown, shoot, Kwame can't Brown run, Brown can't jump. He's in the league. <laughs> it's true. That's true. But, uh... <laughs> Right. Yeah, other than he not being able to shoot or run or jump or defend or – other than that, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. <laughs> Dear. So let's – what I wanted to do now, Daz, was get some – and we'll both take part in this, do some bowl predictions and maybe two each. I don't know how many how many you prepared to do. Uh, but maybe some teams or players that people aren't talking about and aren't expected to do a lot but that you're un- irrationally high on. Uh, heading into the season, you feel like you're a bit higher than what everyone else would be. Well, I'm going to give you, the, I, I did a little bit. Um, I've got the, uh, in this era that we've lived in now uh, with the with the player movement and the stars congregating to each other, and sadly it's just becoming, you know, ho-hum news that, you know, five future Hall of Famers have switched teams this year, you know, between 
you know, Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler and Paul George, etc. And so I got to thinking, right, with with Kevin Durant leaving, we all sort of knew that Russ was going to breathe fire. He was going to be Game of Thrones dragon, you know, out of control. And he was, he just, Russ was Russ. And so that for me is the, maybe the, the rational expectation I have of this year is who are all the next Russell Russ books? Who are going to be in that, fuck this, man, fuck this, fuck this. Who's going to be in the fuck this Russell Westbrook camp? So I'm quite looking forward to, you know, players like we've talked about, like with uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. No more, no more mellow. Got a big contract. Fuck this. Maybe Hard- Hardaway is going to go, you know, shoot 25 times a game. Same thing with, you know, Oladipo. He's been traded a couple times. He's been talked shit about him for for months. About they couldn't couldn't believe he had an unmovable contract. Now there's no Paul George there in a just a basketball crazed city like Indianapolis. So you go, maybe what's to stop Vic from going, fuck this man, and you know, trying to become a twenty five point a game scorer. So that's what I'm looking at. The um, Rodney Hood might be another guy who's bed he's got the body, he passes the eye test, but he just can't seem to be healthy and put it together. But man oh man oh man, where are the points gonna come from in Utah? So I think Rodney Hood has a chance to kind of you know, step up and take a massive jump. So well, the that guy for me is maybe he's going to be the 2017-18 fantasy champion, and that's Dennis Schroeder. Oh, the Schroeder, of course. Well, he's already saying fuck this. He's been <laughs> didn't he got in trouble? Didn't he? Fights in the fights in the preseason with his own teammates. So that is a yeah draft Schroeder at your own peril. That that guy. That guy's just as likely to get suspended by his own team again than anything. Talk about the potential for a doghouse. He's literally but yeah, saying, fuck this. That's right. So that for me is what's going to be interesting. These guys who are on these teams, who's going to be the alpha now on the teams who've lost their star? So that's going to be real. Who's going to be the next little miniature Ross? And I think there's a, there's a handful of guys like that. But in terms of teams, um, I picked one in each conference. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first with the West. Though. Why don't you go first? And yeah. I, I went with this team and then that's also a player on me rationally high on. I traded for him in our fantasy league. You may have noticed to, to have him as one of my keepers and that's Rudy Gobert. I'm very, very high on the Utah Jazz. I just think... Shit, that's one of my teams. <laughs> Can't well, there believe... you go. We've there you got go. the same team. So I just think with Utah, I think they're going to... I don't think they're going to win the title or anything. Let's, I don't even think they'll necessarily win a playoff series. But for a regular season team, I think they're going to be very, very tough to beat. Night in, night out, they're going to bring it for 82 games. But I just think Rudy Gobert is going to be an absolute beast this season. And uh, I think they're going to feed a lot more offense for them. They're going to find points somewhere. Um, I know Rodney Hood is obviously going to be... He, he may be shooting a bit more, but I'm not sure how much they trust him. I think him and Ricky Rubio in that pick-and-roll game, I'm really looking forward to seeing that, um, how that sort of goes in Utah. And I think he, he may very well... Well, my, my prediction for him would be, I think he's going to be the, um, the first-team All-NBA centre this year. So there's there's a bold prediction for you from the Utah Jazz. But what, where were you coming at it from? I mean, do you think they're going to outperform expectations or are you high on any particular players in the team? I took a totally different angle, so that's what's interesting. So I, I was thinking, who are these more, I guess call them, you know, the non-Philadelphia, non-Phoenix, non-Sacramento, right? Who are the teams that has 
that has untapped upside, right? And I, that's where I was thinking Utah, where, yes, everyone's got their own versions of um, their own draft picks, but, I mean, who didn't fall in love with, with Donovan Mitchell in summer league and what we've seen from him, right? So I think he, he's got a chance to um, be a seriously impactful rookie, Rodney Hood, which I've talked about, which is he just passes the test. He's got the body. He's got the game. He just needs to put it together. Um, and if not this year, never. And then what if he had a healthy Derek Favors, right? I know that's a, that's a, that's a bit of a hypothetical. It's like having a healthy, healthy Gallinari. But if Derek Favors can give them 70 games, right? And again, I'm not saying 80. I think he's in 70 games next to Gobert. I think his type of play, let's Gobert be, be Gobert. And so I think Favors is a variable that could provide a lot of upside for him. And then our boy, our local boy, Exum, mm. you know, what do they have with him? And I go, this is a chance now under a, the tutelage of a Rubio. Um, they, I think this is a make-or-break year for Exum. they got to find out what they have with him. He's only 22, if you can believe it. He's now a, a year-plus removed from the ACL reconstruction. So I think if it's not, perhaps it falls into the camp of we don't know what we have. Perhaps he's no better than Chris Dunn, but I think there's. I think we're going to see. Um, we can see something from Exum this year, maybe in the type of role like we see from a, you know, a, um, a Joseph or a Patty Mills or those sorts of players, where if he can get 20 minutes a game, um, they'd be, they'd be thrilled to have it. So I was thinking more in that aspect as is, where is there actually some upside in the roster that we haven't, haven't quite seen yet. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a fair call, and I think there is certainly some upside still with Gobert, and, and Exum is another. Yeah, with in, in particularly offensively with Exum, we've certainly a very good defender, and they're obviously a very good defensive team, Utah, and that's not going to change this season. But the question marks for them is going to be where is the extra offense going to come from that they need, and you're hoping, particularly from Australian point of view, that Dante Exum will turn up um, this season. The team in the East that I wanted to talk about and I'm really fascinated by because I want to know what, I guess, what to believe. Should we believe the uh, 10 and 31 start or the 31 and 10 finish? And that's from the Miami Heat. I just don't know what to believe from mm. what we saw last year with that team because the 10 and 31 start was real. But it wasn't like they had a massive amount of injuries and things like that. And yes, actually, I think had more injuries in the second half of the season. Um, I just, I can't wait to see just how it shakes out in Momi because I've, in terms of trying to tip, I have absolutely no clue um, as to whether. I mean, I'm sure they're not. I'm certain they're not going to win 62 games, but I don't think they're going to win 20 games. But is it going to be somewhere in between? That are they a bit better than where they finished last year? A bit worse? I'm not sure. Um, on that, I mean, what, what are your sort of feelings on, on the Heat at the moment? They definitely would fall into the camp of I don't know what to expect from them, right? But then I stop, and I stop, and I go, okay, wait, hold on. It's Eric Spolstra. This is Fitness Extreme, mm. and if you think about a typical bell curve, if you sort of plotted the average points per game on an NBA team, right, in a bell curve, you'd have. You know, typically, you know, most teams have a guy who's averaged 20 points a game. You know, maybe someone who's at, you know, secondary score and a couple of guys are in double digits. And then, you know, we've got a whole slew of, you know, eight to ten guys who average between whatever, between five and ten points. It fills out the back end of your starters and your entire bench and then guys who 
you know, maybe only play 20 or 30 games. So I go, yeah, it's your typical, you know, NBA bell curve, unless you're fucking Golden State and everyone averages 20 points a game. Um, so I go, that's maybe what I think about Miami is they're the opposite. I go, what if they had, they might have eight guys average 10 points a game. And I go, I think that's what their power is, is that you don't know it on any given night, on any given set, in any given half, in any given play, right? They're probably, because they're so vanilla everywhere, they're so anti-alpha dog at any position on offense, I'm talking, that maybe that's what they are, a brilliantly coached team with a highly, un- I'm sorry, he's a highly underrated point guard in Dragic. He just runs a beautiful offense and has a, has a shot himself. And I think if they've got one of those, again, I'll state it in the extreme to make the point. Imagine if they had nine players average 10 points a game, right? What that would tell you over the course of the season, that they'd be really, really, really hard to defend. And they'd be really, they'd be 48 minutes like they were last year, 48 consistent minutes, right? But their bench will outscore your bench. And you don't see much difference between when their starters go out. So I have no clue, right? Because I look at that roster like you'd go, what have they done? Signing all these very ordinary players to four-year deals. Are you crazy? I think I'm sort of unlike TJ Warren. I think they got some borderline unmovable contracts. But um, I think they could be the ultimate high-floor team where on any given night, Orlando, Chicago, Indiana, Brooklyn, Atlanta have no hope Right on any given night against a team who's going to be so well run like Miami, but um, well, the worry I have for them is on just quickly on Dragic. He was Slovenia won the European Championships um, in the off season. He was I'm not sure if he was player of the tournament, but he certainly had a great tournament. Um, yeah, and it was it was a, a great final that he had also. But with Miami, the worry I have for them is they had a lot of guys in contract years last year. And they all played out of their skin, all played above Good themselves, point. and there they've all got paid. And you bring they might back, be doing fuck this the exactly, other way. Well, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's going to be a really good test for Spolstra. And yeah. can he bring out the magic in the James Johnsons and the Dion Waiters and the L. Dot Babbitts and you know the Richardsons? Um, that all, as I said, all of them got paid, and even you know bringing in. Um, Oh, the guy from from Boston, um, Kelly Olenek. He gets paid, right? So they got a lot of guys, Daz, on this roster that got paid big money last year. Whiteside's a bit of a head case at the best of times. I don't know. Just something tells me this could all go south. Just as good as point, could go north um, with that team. So that's a team. That, who was your team in the East, though? That you were sort of, and, and don't say the Milwaukee Bucks. No, no, I know exactly what that. I studied them too. And you don't have 45 minutes, right? <laughs> so um, I was thinking, so the the way I thought about it was who might be a team we're just not talking about enough that has sneaky, again, sort of upside. And you're going to fall off your chair, but I go, I actually think it's Toronto. <laughs> I go, we're, we just, no one's talking about Toronto, are they? Well, there's a reason right? no we talked about, about the, Toronto. We've seen the half a Toronto. billion dollars spent in, you know, in Washington to retain their core. And we're just obsessed, right? The last two months talking about Cleveland and Boston, but I go, okay. But using my criteria though, of having some untapped upside though, right? Is what if Kyle Lowry gets back to the Kyle Lowry we saw in 
you know, from November to February instead of cheeseburger Lowry we saw in, in May, right? So what if Lowry, Lowry is back? Dwight Powell takes the next step, right? I love, sorry, Norman Powell, not Dwight Powell. Dwight Powell's on the Mavericks. So love Norman Powell's game, right? Um, if he takes a bigger role, he's kind of got that Brogdon-esque, not afraid of anything. He shot 44% from three in the playoffs last year, right? So this guy doesn't care about the moment. Like, no moment's too big for Powell. So I love his sort of upside. And I don't think we've seen enough of Jakob Pertl, um, Jacob Potel, Joe J. Pertl, whatever you want to say, right? Yeah, they're all I think good, Jakob man. is a, on paper a perfect fit in the, um, to play some different lineup, lineups versus having, you know, the big V in there sometimes. Um, so I like perhaps if they've they can work in um, some more sets and some more rotations with Perto. Um and who I guess I sort of like their um, well CJ Miles they signed as well. Yeah, nice signing with CJ Miles to kind of fill in that the corner three shooter. Um, Look at that. Well, I'm not forgetting the the lanky the lanky point guard. Um, uh, what's his yeah, name? Uh, Delon Delon yeah, Wright. Delon Wright because they right. got rid of Corey Joseph. Yeah, well, I like the lawn and and again back to the the draft where it's a complete it's a lottery ticket, but the athleticism of Ananobi cannot be denied. So if if Ananobi comes back and just gives them even you know some rookie hardcore you know miniature Aaron Gordon type minutes for for fifty games next year, I think they'd be thrilled. So um, look, lots of variables there, right? So maybe well, it's the team that where I go. Um, would you ever would you could you ever conceive of Giannis coming off the court and just saying, I can't beat that guy? Never. Why would he what well, no that's Why? what Kyle Lowry said at the end of the Cleveland Toronto series. He said, While LeBron's in the East, no one's gonna beat him. And I'm paraphrasing there, but that was essentially what I mean. What he said. Well, I'm saying so that's, that's why I'm saying this is the Toronto this Raptors. Was... I have zero interest in this team. They they admitted they cannot beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, so they were. But uh, I know this is sort of like you admitting that James Harden is is a decent player, right? So I kind of go imagine for me, right? Who I spent the entire offseason go? How did how, we had the I think the three best players in the series against Toronto, and yet they we just still couldn't put the the ball in the hoop nearly enough, and I just watched them wilt. I just watched them. When I watched their coaching was a Dwayne Casey has to go. So I go, I go for me to go. I, if I use my criteria of the teams who have un sort of tapped these veteran teams who got some untapped upside, that's that was my criteria. That's again, that was probably my only criteria. And so I could talk myself into saying, you know what, maybe they sneak themselves into the top two. You know, top two conversation next year, but uh, oh, no, I have no faith. In, I have no faith. In, I have no faith in the playoffs. But I'm just saying, no one has spent two minutes talking about the raps, and so. Um, oh, if you said to me I, the raps make the Eastern Conference Finals, I wouldn't be overly shocked by that. Um, but they get that. Guess what? They're meeting Cleveland there, and it's going to be a sweep. And we'll be sitting there going, "Oh my God, why did we oh, talk ourselves into this team?" Well, I, I'd even say that. Again, no, I'm being. Again, well, I think the Bucks will beat the will beat Toronto in a seven game series. Well, at least the They'll Bucks find... can be excited. You say, all right, Giannis isn't going to take a step back. Like Giannis believes he's the best player in the NBA now. I think so. He's not going to be be worrying about 
LeBron or whoever's on the other side of the court, whereas I think it's in the in Toronto's heads now that they just can't, they don't believe that they can beat the team. Well, that's the sum total of all the years they just keep underperforming the playoffs, right? So I, I haven't gotten my head around, you know, who's in the playoffs and that sort of thing, but I was just from a, so it's fair. I could don't don't mistake my uh, my my resurgence of optimism about Toronto for anything other than the second round. I just you know, I looked at I was had a quick look at all the rosters and I'm like we know who all these teams in the East are. We do. We know exactly what Washington is. Boston has a million question marks, but I'm so tired of talking about them. Yeah. They need to play some basketball now, right? We need to find out if amongst everything else is Jalen Brown a player. That for me is the biggest question mark on that roster. Is if Jalen Brown isn't who they think he is, then that that team is that team's going to be stuck. Um, so I'm like, we just talked about them so much. I'm just like, the team I would have gone with maybe is uh, Charlotte, um, only from the point of view is we don't know what Malik Hunt's going to be. Let's see how he develops. Uh, Dwight Howard, how is he going to fit into that team? Is he finally sort of get it? And he and he puts up numbers wherever he goes, Dwight. So he's going to be a reasonable player. Um, Michael Carter Williams, he's going to be coming off the bench. Yeah. Can I just can I have a quick sidebar? Um, if anyone wants wants five minutes of laughter, uh, right? Dunked on, right? Nate Duncan. Did you listen to any of his preseason, um, this offseason stuff where they had these? They'll bring on the, the podcasters from the other oh, networks, yeah, right? No, I don't listen to some of them. I didn't listen to the Charlotte one. I happened to catch the Charlotte one, and I absolutely no word of a lie. He said, literally verbatim, the most critical player on their roster is Michael Carter-Williams. I am fucking – I wish I was joking. I wasn't. Why? Because it's a backup point guard, and backup point guard killed them. So he talked about when Zeller got hurt. They were two and fifteen when Zeller was injured last year. I didn't realize it was that bad. So you go, well, then Frank Kaminsky slides to the five. They're terrible. But then he went on to say, "There's no one." Right? I think wasn't Ramon Sessions there last year? Was that their backup point guard? Was backup? I think he, he was. Got injured as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He was injured. So he talks about the importance of Michael Carter Williams. So anyway, I digress. Well, the best point, point guard they had was Troy Daniels, and they uh, he went to Memphis, and I think Memphis just traded him basically for nothing just to get him off their books. But he, he's oh, a reasonable player. He's it was it to the Nets he might have gone, but um, Phoenix, yeah, they got a, they Phoenix, had to attach right. a second rounder to him. Yeah, mm. so yeah. Uh, he he was probably the best. But I look, is there a player in the NBA that has more offensive um, load put on him than Kemba Walker next year? I'm not sure there is now that you look at what Russell Westbrook's improved his um, supporting car, so is James Harden. Like, that guy's... Well, gonna... I... Yeah, I'll argue it's it's actually Victor Oladipo. <laughs> I will, right. Who else is going to score in Indiana? Oh, well, I certainly might put the, put, score a few buckets. On his best day, he's a 17-point a game, right? That's Just... right. Well, you know, you could have a point there. That's, that's going to be an interesting thing to see, actually. Let's see who... He'll be wickedly inefficient. So, but who has? But yeah, well, no, yeah. So we'll, we'll we'll move on next. The next segment I, I was going to have is going to be a regular segment. We might do this and the quiz on the corresponding weeks throughout the season. But this is questions without notice, Daz. So these are questions Uh-oh. that I've come up with um, that you have no idea what I'm going oh, to ask you. The first is around team building, and it's sort of cross across sports question. But I'm fascinated in your answer. So if someone came to you now 
and said, Daz, you've got 10 years to win a championship with one of these two franchises, okay? And you've got two choices. On the right, we have the Chicago Bulls, and on the left, we have the Chicago Bears. Oh, God. <laughs> Who do you you're, so, you're such a jerk. I have to pick one? You've so got 10 to pick years, one. 10 years to win a championship. 10 years to win a championship. All right, so let me just work through the criteria. This is a crazy hard question. All right, so the criteria, I have to win a championship, right? So I look at the Bulls in the NBA, and I go, okay, you could win a couple lotteries the next couple of years with Martel Webster or Donkic and whomever else in 2019, and and it's still Chicago, and if you fire the fire Hoiberg, boy, you could be back in contention right when LeBron's retiring. Um, and you could spend some money, although that's so hard given where there's so many stars in the NBA. They don't even have a star yet. Versus the Bears, oh my God. Do I have to talk about the Bears? Um, well, I guess the, the broader question is what what sport is harder, the team building? And you're building from scratch, let's be honest, with both of these teams. Um is it the NFL I'll, I'll or be, NBA? I'm, I'm in, I'm, no, I've got I've got an answer. I'm, I'm I was working it through. It's a great it's a really great question actually, um, and I'm actually going to quite confidently say the Bears. I would say the Bears too, and I would be quite confident. Yeah, me too. You know why? It's and it's not just for about it's not gar packs. And it's not the fact the Bears have had whatever 27 quarterbacks in the last whatever what 30 years or whatever. We know that sort of stuff, but it's the and I think I've. I've hinted at it before, but um, this is the Atlanta Falcons, uh, Carolina Panthers um, sort of scenario, which is in the NFL, if you get really, really, really good on one side of the ball Mm. and you get competent quarterback play, you'll have a year where you've gone 5-11, and get a loser schedule, and you'll have cupcake schedule, Right. And schedule is so important in the NFL. And so that's where you see these teams that go 7-1 at home, win a few games on the road. If you get lucky with some with injuries, um, you, can, you can make some noise in the playoffs. And that's the NFL, right, is you, get, you can get enough talent on one side of the ball, lucky with the schedule and lucky with injuries, I think you've got a shot, especially in this era where, right, the fallibility of the – you know, the, the two quote-unquote dynasties of New England and Green Bay are, are very fallible. Whereas I think the Bulls have a, you're going to need to hit, right? You need to hit yourself an Anthony Davis or a Giannis or a Steph Curry sort of player in the next three years. So they have to hit in the next three years to win a championship within that 10-year window. Where I think the Bears, you could be shit for the next five and they could they could build a team, you know, in years seven, eight, and nine, and win a title. If the Bulls don't win themselves a the lottery the next few years, that's when you when you put that time horizon on. I think that's what makes it harder. That's it. There's but you were confident, variables, I think, with the Bulls, even though there's only fifteen players on the roster. Yeah, that's right. So there's more. Whereas I think with the NFL, you can just build. It doesn't even have to be one side of the ball. You're, in today's NFL, I'd be saying I'm just going to build an offensive line or a defensive line. Um, and so that's going to dominate. That's what Dallas have gone out and done. Um, and they're one of the contending teams or thereabouts. Now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and that's that's what you need to do. And and to your point, even if you're a crap team for two or three years, you're going to have an easy schedule for two or three years. So yeah. if you build a good team to take advantage of that, then you can come out of nowhere and make a playoff run. Um, and who knows? And it's it just, I mean, the history would tell us there's been so few NBA champions over the years, whereas the NFL has thrown up some random teams. Some not all not all have won it. Occasionally, you get someone that will come up and win it out of nowhere. Um, a lot of lot more of the sort of underdog teams have just made the the Super Bowl and lost. But uh, I, th- I think it's to me anyway. The only, I guess, the only positive I would have about taking that Bulls job on is it is in the Eastern Conference, and I think you you automatic a little bit better chance um, taking on that job in the Eastern Conference than you would be saying the yeah. Eastern Conference. Yeah, with and, a ten year horizon, ten year horizon, you're right. You're right about that. Yeah, yeah. That's, right. that's a great question, though. That's fun. So the second question is, what is the future of college sports in America? And if you're following this, um, there's been a big um, brouhaha and the controversy in college sports, and there's a number of programs that are going to be suspended, it seems. Um, it just it feels almost inevitable to me. We're going to move away from this model at some stage in, say, the next 10 to 20 years. But uh, you, you're more sort of in... in you're more immersed in that culture mm. coming from America yourself. What, what's your sort of thoughts on the future of, of college sports and that being the, the main feeder system for, for NFL and NBA? Well, God, so two very different dynamics in the two sports, um, but the similarity, right, is the, I think what you're referring to, right, is Rick Pitino is being brought down again from, uh, not from the NCAA, but the news was that it was the actual, the FBI. FBI yeah. They said, you know, we we know there's corruption um, happening here, and they had um, FBI agents secretly videotaping um, meetings in Las Vegas hotel rooms. Like they were talking, this was a properly hit the radar of the FBI because um, all these nefarious characters um, in their dealings, and it brought down Rick Pitino. So um, that's the. The, the really simplistic answer to what happened in the news um, in terms of what that means then for the sport is I go, well, um, it, it's going to have to make a choice, right? And I say that it's the NCAA is going to have to make a choice when you have a, an inefficient market like this, when there are billions and billions of dollars being made and the people who are creating the value, not getting paid, you open yourself up to a black market and that's what we have. So I think what we have, I think this is the tip of the iceberg in terms of this was a huge operation and nine, I think it was nine major universities were named in this and have had um, ties to these, um, to these agents and these financial representatives. And again, for people who don't know, it was the, the shoe companies and um, financial and wealth managers basically bribing coaches to get in, involved with kids you know, so they'd have a they'd have a stake in their future earnings, right? So classic black market. Um, black Essentially, market everyone's making money except for the athletes themselves. Everyone's making money except for the athletes, right? And the and the payback is then is when the athlete is you know a pro and, and earns it. So it's like a it's gambling. It's basically, they're gonna all these these agents and shoe companies and financial management companies are just probably basic, placing bets on a hundred different kids and knowing that of the 100 they place their bets on, if five of them become stars, they'll make their money, you know, over tenfold. So um, 
it's going to have to make a choice. Either pay the players a fair living market, fair living wage, or we're going to see the demise, the total demise of, of the NCAA. Where I then, with I think David, um, what's going to be interesting is how Adam Silver looks at this situation as it relates to the next CBA. Granted, the CBA has got six more years to run, so it's not going to be quick. But then revisits this issue of um, of of the age of entering the NBA. So I think if he they drop the age back to you know high school age, so the Moses Malone, Kevin Garnett's, LeBrons of the world could just enter the NBA from high school. And now with the two-way contracts, which I think I'd like to see more of those, and 26 of the 30 teams having a G League team, I think there's going to be real viability that um, that you have a proper in the NBA, you'll have proper NBA teams who've got a developmental type system where it's, you know, identifying high school talent, trying to recruit them into, you know, into their into their programs. And the G League is a genuine developmental type program, an alternative, like in baseball, an alternative to going to college and an alternative to the one and done crap that creates that's kind of created this black market. And I have no idea which way that's going to go because it's fucking complicated and there's billions of dollars involved but um this it cannot it cannot stay the way it is mm. and i think there's obviously even from a um a financial point of view for the nba them a financial interest in pushing the g league uh further forward because from a milwaukee or san Antonio fans point of view uh it'd be fascinating to see you know san Antonio take a flyer on some a high school kid in the later rounds, and then throw him in as a two-way player. But he's the top-ranked high school player in the in the uh, in, yeah in in America at that point. So then, do you watch it? But I think from a college point of view too, there's got to be ways you can bring it in and actually uh, you know put a salary cap in. It doesn't have to be a massive amounts of money that you're paying to these kids either, but just sort of something. And even if it, I, I don't think it would be a bad thing to go back to a system where kids are staying in college a little bit longer but you can certainly understand the one and done mentality because kids don't want to players don't want to be missing out on the big paydays uh, by staying yeah. too many years in college um the, the final <coughs> excuse me so the final question i had and you can certainly say no comment on this if you like but it is been in the news it's going to continue to look at us. Um, is do do you have a problem from a fan's point of view? Politics and sport mixing, and, and these sportsmen coming out and making political statements uh, from time to time, or do you feel like you know what sport should be sport, and, and let's leave the politics? It's completely out of it. Oh, you can probably guess that I'm. I am all for uh, the players being able to express themselves. So that means it's political or otherwise. I'm I'm all for it. Um, I don't. I guess I probably maybe I'm different. That I just don't like the fence sitting in the the cleansed, sterile platitude conversations that you're so used to having, and particularly NFL, right? Mm. Um, so I like the fact that um, uh, that players, especially in the NBA, are more. I think they're a little more allowed to. Because right? they're just more social, they're just more in the social media. Well, I to think have a say, Bill Simmons right? made a very good point. He said, "If Colin Kaepernick was in the NBA, no one would even raise an eyelid." I wouldn't. I, I mean, totally agree. McMurray, he's exactly right did about it that. Years and years yeah. ago, and no one. I mean, look, he probably he copped a little bit of heat at the time, 
but in terms of people thinking that his contract was going to be torn up and not allowed to play again, it just didn't even come yeah. into the conversation. We are all naive if we believe that celebrities, let's face it, these are celebrities in the entertainment industry, don't have an influence on us. We're naive and ignorant and blind if we pretend otherwise. And I say that because we've been listening to and watching, right, um, Alec Baldwin portray Donald Trump on TV, right, for the last year. And for God knows how long Hollywood, right, is so disproportionately, right, left um, right, a left-leaning liberal, you know, uh, liberal in America, right, mm. pro-civil liberties and human rights issues. So Hollywood has been for a long time promoting one single sort of narrative in politics. And I go, why not the athletes who are disproportionately, you know, in 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 the NBA and a little bit less so, but even in the in the NFL, you know, African American who represents such a radically different part. Of our of our culture, I I actually now the more just asking the question, I love that they're having the courage and being supported to do it. Kind of for me, it's another a, a follow on from why is again as a Bucks fan, I might rue the day in two point five years from now, but that the players have taken so much influence and so much power in the NBA, right, with LeBron and Chris Paul at the helm of taking short term deals, and we're going to go play where we want to play and. Why do we always have to be told what to do by billionaire white men? Fuck that. We create the value. We are the stars. We we are the league. The league doesn't exist without us, and they've taken a lot of control of the league. And I love that they've done that, right? And so I I can't I can't even possibly fathom what that must feel like in the black community in the U.S. to have, you know, to have the players um, doing that. But. Um, I, think I want it gives more them of it. personality yeah. too. I mean, it, it gives, gives them personality. Yeah, uh, makes them you know human human beings. It's not, and that's one of the problems I think the NFL's had over the years that we touched on uh, in an earlier pod. You know, they're just these guys behind the helmets that you look at and set you in your fantasy team each week. Um, so now that they're starting to come out and speak out a little bit more, um, and that of course will give them a bit of power. And I think there's probably a few NFL owners that are a little bit nervous. Um, about the sort of profile that some of these guys are getting as well, um, which which would be playing into it. So, and, yeah, and just I know it's it's it is anecdotal and it's a little bit of recency bias, but I encourage anyone who's listening to check out the um, the Miami Dolphins um, box score from today. The Miami Dolphins were shut out at home for those of you keeping track by one of the worst defenses the last ten years, the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans Saints went into Miami and shut them up 20 to zero, mm. right? And our pal, your pal, Jay Cutler, yep. um, threw for whatever, buck 65, 145 yards, had a pick or two picks, and most importantly had a, they've got a wildcat um, sort of scheme wrinkle in their offense, and the wildcat is when, you know, the, um, they line up in formation, and the quarterback actually runs out wide, and they snap the ball like the old, um, you know, some of the teams played that, the wildcat system, right? And there's Jay Cutler standing with his on the, on the field as the ball's being snapped. He never moved from the line of the scrimmage. His hands are on his hips, yeah. and he's staring in at the at the ball being played while his teammates, you know, lost a yard, getting their head taken off because guess what? Jay Cutler didn't even run his route and didn't do it. And I go, if you needed any more evidence, fucking moronic billionaire white men, that he's so unfit. He can't even lead 
his pathetic Dolphins team through a singular play, and yet Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job, you t- you tell me that this isn't racially motivated, or you you, uh, you just I if I will find it impossible impossible for anyone to construct an argument that tells me that of every single starting quarterback and backup quarterback in the NFL is better than Colin Kaepernick, and you tell me it's tell me that's the case, I I'll call you a liar. No, and you can't construct it. it. I mean, you can't even you look at just just look at Cutler and Kaepernick together in a vacuum. Kaepernick went to a Super Bowl, uh, and okay, he didn't play as well anywhere near as well in subsequent seasons. But Jay Cutler never went to a Super Bowl. Uh, Jay Cutler made the playoffs tw- once his entire career at the Bears, and was and was pretty much horrendous. Every single year, he actually had a job as a commentator on Fox Sports in Chicago before they even signed him. So he wasn't even working out. He wasn't even putting himself out there as a possibility. And then Miami signed him. So I think there's there's absolutely no question um, that Kaepernick's been blackballed by the league. Jay Cutler's team has scored 25 points in three games. They're averaging eight points a game. Well, I think they scored 19 in the first game, too. So they've scored six. And then six and games. then zero. Mm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, that's right. So I go, I go, and yeah, I watched, believe me, I watched firsthand Colin Kaepernick tear up 2013 or 2014. He shredded the Packers. Well, it was a couple of Could, was two, couldn't tackle two seasons in a row. They just, he just destroyed Green Bay. Couldn't tackle him. Them. Mm. Couldn't stop him. That's right. So, yeah, great question. Um, I'm all for it. Look, it is a – I won't pretend, though, that is a delicate, delicate balance, though, right? There is a – the NFL actually has it more difficult, I think, because of the – right, where they're at. Mm. And they are far more – right, because of the money is so significant. Uh, and we know that the commissioner is such a, well, you know, Goodell – Change is going to be a lot harder in the NFL. I think change could happen pretty swiftly. Adam Silver seems to be a lot more progressive. Seems to be a lot more. Yes, he's he's hired by the owners, but uh, Adam Silver seems to me have a has the pulse of the league. Um, and plus, I think the owners in the NBA are just a different. It's a different lot. It's Steve Ballmer and Joel Lacobe and right. Um, uh, yeah, we got blinking. some tech guys, and they're, they're tech the guys, money, right? There's yeah. some Republicans in there as well. Sure, um, of course, of course. You know, so, but they're not. I mean, even Peter Holt, he's a Spurs owner, is a Republican, but the Spurs are one of the most liberal organisations in all the sports. So, um, I don't think that they put their imprint on it as much. Um, Donald yeah. Sterling probably did a bit, but because it's such a star-driven league, um, I think it is a different kettle of fish than what the the NFL. Is dealing with and obviously a lot more players on an NFL roster as well. There's, there's a number of things that come into these, these things. But I do find the curious argument people say, "Oh, I don't want to hear about politics and sport mixing." But it's like, well, it's it, you know, it, it's inevitable. Um, I think in the world we live in, yeah, um, no, these things in the, the especially in, in the American context of you know Jackie Robinson of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and and religious <laughs> freedoms and later Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf of Muhammad Ali, you know, that's been we've got quite a long, you know, that that line they've been related for quite a long time. Well, so. we've seen it in Australia in more recent time because of the, the same-sex marriage um, survey that's going on, and, and there's some of the sporting groups here 
um, the AFL and NRL have been behind the S campaign and, and people have been um, upset about that, you know, um, saying you shouldn't mix politics and sport. So I think it's an interesting debate to have, but I just can't see why. I mean, the, the interesting point someone made was, look, if, you, if you're not for something, um, if you don't sit on the fence every single time, then you're really for nothing. You don't stand for anything. That's and, it. You know, with the same-sex marriage debate, for example, if you've got LGBTI people that are wanting to go into your sport, and particularly now they're pushing women's sport as much as well, so you want to promote diversity in your sport, and I think that's one of the reasons why these sports come out in favour. That there's, there's a number of reasons why it, it, it does pay at times to get political and get on the what I believe anyway is the right side of some of these issues. Um, but no doubt we'll, we'll have those debates. will continue on. Does but look any anything else that you're particularly looking forward to at the start of the season? We will have our full preview next week. We're going to give our breakdown of our um, playoff in order, uh, which we can go back and check on at the end of the season and see who was closer to the mark and who was further off the mark. We're going to look at Tankathon next week as well. Give our Tankathon predictions. But anything else that sort of jumped there this week that you, you're looking forward to from the season, the upcoming season? Well, I'm probably looking forward to the you know. Um, just the early debates around uh, the lottery reform, quote-unquote. So obviously the changes went through in the last week and a lot of opinions about how much impact that will have. It'll be phased in uh, starting in the 2019, but that's going to be interesting to see how how teams sort of get their head around that. And no, I, I just like that the they've shrunk the, the pre-scene, right? And there's, I think there's what, three or like every team has four games or something, four or five games maybe. And then yeah, we, we tip of off stars and stars sitting out. Now Kawhi's not playing at yeah. all in the preseason. I think LeBron yeah. was listed day day. Rolled his ankle. I, I nearly fell yeah. off my chair. He finally had an injury uh, after all these years. Yeah. Um, the one. But I no, think... the preseason's tipped off. You know, Lonzo played his first game. You know, that's right. Yeah. But if I was, if I didn't have to work tomorrow, I would definitely be glued to, you know, watching um, the Bucks play Dennis Smith and the and the Mavs. You know, that's that tips off tomorrow. So yeah. I'm just ready to be. I'm ready to get into it. I'm ready for the overreaction of the Houston Golden State game, game one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Small yeah, sample, recency bias will go, we'll we'll go have a little bit crazy. Podcast after that one, <laughs> Let's see. Uh, the 73-win team who's been to three consecutive finals who kept their entire core versus the team that blew everything up and has 10 new players. Who do you think's going to win that one? Well, I'll, anyway. back. I'll read some of the comments. I probably made some comments myself when the Spurs blew uh, Golden State out in day one yeah. last season. <laughs> I, think, I think your Twitter feed was uh, so, full of vitamins that day, yeah. full of vitamins. Yeah. Well, you've got to get in. When you when you get a big win like that, you've just got to get in and hone it and, and hope that hey, it continues right. across this the is the It's going to be a theme. It's going to be a big theme for small market teams. Who I've talked about it before. It's going to hit us again. Your stars are going to leave. You're probably never going to win a title. So if you can't enjoy a game or a week or a month, or if you can't enjoy your star, if you can't enjoy the, the process, if you can't enjoy something other than winning a title, then you're not going to be a fan. So the Bucks aren't winning a title this year. I know that. There's 0% chance, right, which I go, this is the, the challenge why perhaps the NBA will never be as big as the NFL is there's no chance for, what, 20 teams? 22 teams? Oh, this season, 28. 24 teams? Yeah, that's right. 24 teams have no shot, so mm. we better enjoy the games and enjoy the storylines. So, um, Well, that's the yeah. thing. I mean, if someone said to me, 
it's going it's going to be Golden State Cleveland. Golden State's going to win the finals four two. I would be no less excited about the start of this season. Well, last, last season was the least, the least anticlimactic, the most god-awful playoffs mm. in my lifetime, and yet how could that be? It was still one of the most fascinating seasons, wasn't it? Yeah. The most anticlimactic, disappointing sort of playoffs, sweep after sweep, injury after injury, and there you go, the favorite, the heavy, heavy, heavy favorite won. And yet it was an amazing season. This offseason has been – who would have thought an offseason would have been more crazy than the spending spree when Miles Plumley and Timothy Mozgov became billionaires, right? <laughs> so, and we topped it. So I'm yeah. totally excited. All right, Daz. Well, look, we'll leave it there for next week, mate. But I'm looking forward to our full season preview next week, and then we'll get into some games uh, the week after that. Good stuff, Daz. All right. Thanks, mate. Talk soon. Thanks, Bye. mate.